Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Well, welcome back and thank you for joining us today here on the Rural Scoop. I'm really looking forward to our guest today and I am excited that we're able to highlight yet another rural teacher here in Arizona who's doing some amazing things in her rural community. My name is Melissa Sadorf, and as you can tell, I'm not 100%. I just got back from a professional development opportunity and I brought COVID home with me. So bear with me as my co-host and I have an opportunity to get to know our guest today. Ty, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, so I am Ty White. I teach chemistry at Wilcox High School in Wilcox, Arizona. I am the 2023 Arizona State Teacher of the Year as well as the 2223 NREA National Rural Education Association National Rural Teacher of the Year. It's a mouthful. A little bit. So I am excited to have our guest introduce herself to you today. So Christina Musselman is coming to us from Lake Havasu here in Arizona. Christina, introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, everyone. My name is Christina Musselman. As Melissa shared, I am a teacher from the Lake Havasu Unified School District. I have taught in our district. This is my 19th year of teaching, 15 of those years being first grade. And in the middle there, I did four years of reading intervention. I'm a national board teacher in the area of literacy, and I certified back in 2011 and just renewed in 2020. So I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Ready to give us the scoop? I'm ready. You know, before we start, I just want to say this is something fun for people who are listening in. If you're not familiar with Arizona, Christina and I are just about as far apart from each other in the state as you can be. I am way down in the southeast corner, and she is way up in the northwest corner. You know, we talk about access on here. I love the way we've learned to use technologies. We'd have had to meet somewhere in the middle to try and record a session together before. Like how neat it is for us to be able to collaborate with people from long distances. And I hope that it comes to light as you talk to each other through the time that we're spending in the podcast, how different your different parts of Arizona are. And one of the things that I, I think we highlight often is that rural is not a monolith, that there are context differences between your community and my community that really do matter in terms of how we identify and solve problems and how we access community assets and how we interact with our staff and our students in our rural schools. So I'm excited to hear more about what's going on in Lake Havasu, not to mention what's going on in your neck of the woods too, Ty. So why don't you kick us off? So Christina, I've had the pleasure of working with you on a number of things. And I've heard this story before, but it's really great. Would you tell people about how you became an educator? So I chose to become an educator like most young children. I played school growing up and I loved working with kids and following that teacher model. I was the one who, instead of going home to play, would play school with my stuffed animals. But back when I was 15, my parents relocated. We grew up in San Diego. So I grew up in a large area, big school district. We moved to Lake Havasu when I was 15. So I was ending my freshman year of high school. 
I started my sophomore year of high school here in Lake Havasu. And I'll be honest, I was quite lost being it from a big city and coming to a place where our population was very small. It was hard for me to feel like I was going to fit in here. The people dressed differently than I did. They already had their friends established. I had had the same friends since kindergarten. And so it was a really big jump for me. And so what I did is I chose a class called preschool lab at the time is what it was called. And nowadays it would be like a CTE pathway. We just didn't have that back when I was in school. So it was the preschool lab. And what you did is you taught a section of preschool during your school day and you were working on child development, early um, childhood practices, best practices for teaching. And I grew to love that not only the teacher in that class, but I found my people. I loved collaborating with the parents and the students and getting to see them in public. And so from that point, I did that program for the next three years until I graduated as a senior. I went away. That's I knew at that point I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. Kindergarten through third was really probably my main focus. And so I went to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Everything from Lake Havasu is roughly 150 miles for 150 miles to Vegas, 150 miles to Yuma. Every larger city is about that distance from us. So I went to Vegas and got my elementary teaching degree. During that time, I also had my daughter, Alyssa, and it brought me back home to Lake Havasu because my family was here and that was going to help me supporting my own daughter as I was doing schooling. So really um, what brought me to be an educator is just that community brought me to who I was in this small community in Lake Havasu and finding myself as an awkward teenager. And so I just realized that that was going to be the best pathway for me. So Christina, besides it was home, Lake Havasu is also a rural community. Why are you teaching rural besides the fact that it's home. My my initial reason for coming here really was the people because it was family to me and I needed that support. It was hard to juggle life for me in the big city being a young mom, trying to go to school, trying to work, all of the things. And so what brought me back here initially was my family, but the reason I've stayed over the years in this community is because I love the community. I have grown up here. I've established the relationships here. And every time that I've thought about moving on to the possibilities that a larger community could offer me, I come back to my roots of these are my people. I feel like I owe it to my community to serve their children as they served me. I have people that I went to high school with. I'm teaching their children. Mm -hmm. I have my first grade. My first group of first graders are now some of my colleagues. They're my year one teachers that are teaching alongside me. And I just don't know that I could cultivate that in a larger city. So being in this community, the people and the relationships I've built has really kept me here. And then having my own children go through the school system was really important to me. And just knowing that my child, my own children are taken care of because they're a part of this community. So that's what's kept me here. You said this earlier, but I want to go back and cap- I want to capture this for a second. Moving from San Diego to Lake Havasu was much smaller. Just for comparison, what is the size? What is the population for Havasu? Our population is roughly 50,000 to 60,000. It fluctuates. So I want to say that we're around like 56,000 currently. When I moved here, I want to say there was only about 30,000 people that lived here. And a lot of, at that time, a lot of the people were snowbirds. So they, and, and summer birds, if you want to call it that, but they had homes here as a second home, but they did not live in our community full time. 
So I know you've already talked about your favorite part about teaching in Havasu, but if you could connect that to what makes Havasu a rural setting, what are the rural conditions that make you enjoy teaching there? So again, I would have to go back to the relationships and building that community. We have in our district, we have a total of eight schools. So we have six elementary schools, one junior high, one high school. So as a rural school, it's neat that we get to connect with all six schools. So we have at least one planning day of professional development a month where we are meeting first grade teachers across the district. At times, we will also do vertical where it's K-1 meeting together or 1-2. And I feel like as a district, we are connected with each other. We all use the same curriculum. We all speak the same language. We have rapport with each other. If a, if a family is moving from one site to the next, so if they're down the street 10 minutes and they're coming to me, I know that I have people on that campus that I can call and have communication about the students. So again, it's relationships. Relationships are really important to me. I know that that's possible, of course, in other areas, but I just feel it's really unique to a rural setting. So we have the mayor coming into our classes to read a, during Read Across America week. We get to visit community events where our students are being highlighted. It, on a, one of our days when we did our kindness chains, the mayor came in and he proclamated a certain day and gave our school a plaque saying that this would be kindness day of Lake Havasu for eternity. And that is known in our community. And I feel like just being rural really brings us together as a community and we're supporting each other and moving forward with the things that life throws at us. So Christina, I'm going to switch the conversation to focus a little bit more on challenges or barriers or things that may not necessarily be uh, easy to access in your rural community. So what are some of those challenges and how have you overcome them? I'll be honest, is just having quality teachers right now, having quality subs come in to support us when we want to venture out to some of this professional development or allowing newer teachers to come watch the, the senior teachers. It's really hard because we do not have that sub base at this moment. COVID hit us hard. And so we, I feel like we had a really high quality sub bank. And when COVID hit, some of those retired teachers got scared a little bit. They don't want to come back into the schools because they're worried about what that means for life for them. And so that has really just changed our atmosphere. Not having the certified teachers is really unique because you will get some who have been on the pathway of they've been paraprofessionals for us for a long time and they move into, they transition into that role they kind of already know what our district is about. They really have a passion for learning and teaching and they want to do their best. And then on the flip side, we're getting some who they didn't really know what they wanted to do quite yet with life. And this is, or it's a second career for them. And it's really challenging to support those teachers who may not have that passion that we want to see within ourselves and our teachers. And so that's a huge issue that we have had but on the flip side, turning that into a positive is our district has really built up a really high quality mentor program mm -hmm. and a year one, two, three program where it's progressive. So in year one, they're learning fundamentals of how to run a classroom. In year two, they're learning best teaching practices. And then in year three, they're focusing on a problem of practice for themselves, collecting data from their students and really showcasing what they're seeing with the growth within their students. So it's been amazing to see that 
that change over time. But we've all found it is hard with those teachers coming in without a background of education. Um, Another challenge I would just say is the resources are not as readily available in our community as others. I'm at one of, out of our eight sites, I'm at one of three that are not Title I. And so we don't have the same resources that just even a school down the street has based on our population. And so resources are a struggle. And we we try to use the internet and trying to get our students to see some of those real world experiences virtually. We try our best, but some of those things we want to be able to get on the bus and still go down to Phoenix and go to the zoo like we did years ago. And it's just not as accessible as it was. And we don't have bus drivers that are willing to take those day trips anymore. It's just different. Bringing that real world application to our children is difficult. And so we are now just grasping at straws within our community of, we used to go to the zoo. What can we do now? Oh, we have a state park here. Well, we're going to go and they're going to be junior rangers and we're going to learn about the desert wildlife. And we have just adapted. And I think that is what rural teachers are amazing at is we adapt. We don't want to let our kids down. We don't want to stop offering them opportunities. And so that is what we're best at. And so that's, again, I feel like every challenge just by nature, we want to turn that into a positive. So we have, but it is a lot on the backs of the teachers who want to keep that momentum going. Well said. And, and, you know, that phrase I use often, rural innovates out of necessity. I think that you're right. You can turn it into a positive, but it can be challenging to figure out where are the community assets that you can tap into and make them viable options for your students. And it sounds like you guys have done a great job in doing that in Havasu. I'm so glad I get this question. One of the fun things we ask people is um, rural teachers and leaders wear a lot of hats. And we're really focusing on some special teachers in these interviews that are being recognized for all the different things they do. So why don't you tell us about some of these hats you're wearing? Some of the work that I do is I'm very passionate about quality instruction and really basing our instruction on reflection. So that national board process is really near and dear to my heart. So offering pre-candidacy classes in my district, we offer them to our teachers for free so they do not have to pay for them out of pocket. And that gives them their pre-candidacy where they can start the process of national board if they choose. And then we also offer coaching in-house. So we have a really strong relationship with the AZK-12 Center based out of Phoenix, and they partner with NAU. And so I am not only a district coach, but I also support rural teachers through the AZK-12 Center. So my, my national board hat is kind of Arizona rural, as well as like Havasu. So I meet with rural teachers um, once a month online where we do a Zoom meeting to offer them support because they may not have national board teachers in their district. Another thing that I do is I offer a lot of professional development. So I am a thinking maps trainer. I am a love and logic logic trainer. And what rural teachers do is we've been sent to places like Phoenix, where we do a train the trainers model. They teach us the things, we bring it back to our district, and we keep that momentum going the best that we can. I've also been a part of the kindness challenge, so Rachel's challenge. I've been an advocate for that on our campus of having a kindness and compassion club. So we offer it K-6. We now are up to, it went from having myself starting it to now we have eight advisors. And we run out of that, we have four different levels of clubs, which is amazing. And then really, I would say the 
last piece is just being a mentor and a support for first grade teachers across my district, as well as newer teachers on our campus of supporting them with instruction, pacing guides, talking about data, and really examining student that student impact that we're making on a daily basis and brainstorming together on how we move that progress forward. Ty and I have talked before about this expression, the rural advantage. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, right? There's there's no one thing that somebody's going to say, well, I have a better rural advantage than you do because we all do have in our rural communities things that we can tap into that are positive. What unique opportunities do you have as a rural teacher that lives in Lake Havasu? I will be honest, I bounce this idea around a lot because I feel like some people look at that and they say the rural advantage, you mean the rural disadvantage. (laughs) I think they look at it as a disadvantage that we live in this community. To me, there are so many opportunities that I've been afforded being a part of the Mojave County Teacher of the Year and being a part of ARSA and getting to go to that and network with teachers across the state from other rural communities. To me, that was a huge advantage to my career. It put me in connection with people like Ty, like you, Melissa, who I would have never had the opportunity to meet and be able to collaborate with and talk about those common things that are important to us as educators and realize like you are my people. We talk the same language. We have the same goal when it comes to teaching kids. And so I just know if I wasn't in a community like this, the bigger community, I think people get overlooked for some of these things. And so I think that's really just an advantage. And then in our community, we are a industrial community in Lake Havasu. We have the London Bridge here. We have these things that people don't even realize that like how significant that is that brick by brick, Robert McCullough brought over the London Bridge and built that. And then the channel is man-made and all of these things to where our kids get that access all the time. And it's, I don't have the words. What's the word? They take it for granted. (laughs) They take it for granted. Yes. I'm like, what is the word I'm thinking? But they take it for granted. And when we talk to our kids about that, like, do you ever go down to the bridge? And they're like, no. What do you mean you don't go down? to the bridge. My kids and I walk the bridge all the time. So just those things, I think it's, again, it goes back to our unique areas. We are a boating industry. Our kids are really big into, we have lots of car shows and boat shows and that type of thing. You know, we do bring in one smaller rodeo. And so they are getting a lot of real world experiences. We've had the balloon festival for several years in Lake Havasu and the balloons now come to every single school. And I just think some of those things are really unique. If you were in a district with 32 elementary schools, would you have 32 pilot crews willing to go out to these schools in a one to two day time? So our kids are getting some of those experiences is that that's unique to us. The one I feel my kids take for granted is the Chiricahua National Park around here, oh. the one around the rocks. Mm-hmm. You end up, like, that's the whole thing about being rural here. There's a reason these communities are situated. There's some beautiful geographic, geologic features, and they just miss out on them. But it's still, we have these neat opportunities where we're at, Mm -hmm. and it just feels like so many people do miss that. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, for us, for example, people think of, like, Havasu as, oh, you're in the desert. It's so hot. Well, Arizona, it's so hot. What do you do there? Like, what do you mean? We have the lake, which is amazing. You can do so many things on it. You can go hiking when it cools down. And then go, going back to, we're only 150 miles or so from Flagstaff, from Phoenix, from, you know, 
those areas to where we can do everything within a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. We're kind of located near everything. So there's that access. Hey, Christina, I think you're exactly right. I think there certainly are a lot of stereotypes that people hold about what it means to live in sleepy rural communities. How, like you said, how disadvantaged it must be not to have 18,000 Starbucks within your city limits. I'm not sure what they think we're missing, but we've got special other unique opportunities. And that's a great thing to grab a hold of. So I want to ask you, is there a story from your teaching that stands out? Like, what would be your proudest moment as a teacher? I'd love you to tell us about all that. When I came here, I student taught for the first eight weeks of school. We were on a modified year-round calendar at the time. And so we would have these three-week intercessions. So we had made it to the 40th day within that eight-week period. On the 40th day at that time, the school acquired more money based on our population. And so at that time, our classes, when I was student teaching, we each had 30 to 33 to 34 first graders in a classroom. So I student taught not only in first grade, but with a huge class. And there was enough money there on the 40th day where that school was allotted a fourth teacher. So I had the privilege of becoming that fourth teacher. So I stepped out of the shoes of a student teacher into my own classroom and the unique piece is we had these classes. I got eight kids from each of the other three classes. And so that's a very hard transition. It's a hard sell to parents of you're taking this baby teacher who's barely 21, and she's now going to be our full-time teacher. And so there was a boy in that class who his name was Roger. I built a relationship with him really quickly, but also knew that he needed extra support. He needed language support. He needed support with his reading as he continued up the path up until he was in fifth grade, because at the time our elementary schools only went to fifth grade. I had a relationship with him where he would stop in to see me. He would come say hi. I had his twin brothers later and still at the same school. And so I just kept tabs on him. When I moved here to, I was at one school for 13 years and I transitioned to my current school. He was one of my paraprofessionals. So he would come into my classroom and he was assigned to me for a half hour a day. He would push into my room. I taught him a phonics class. He had to come attend a phonics training that I was giving that summer before I even knew I was going to be at the school. And we reconnected then. And I remember telling him how proud I was of him for going into education. And I'm proud to say that he became a teacher in our district. And so he has taught for three years in our district. We have a really good rapport. Sadly, we just lost him to Buckeye. I feel like that's our success in this community is see, being able to watch somebody come full circle. I watched that little first grade boy struggle and not want to read, but he wanted to listen to somebody read where, you know, like, okay, you got him hooked. You just got to get it where that light bulb goes on that they see themselves as a reader. And then I watched him in my classroom years later as that young adult who is now helping my students struggling with reading. My own son had him in seventh grade as a Spanish teacher was, was really neat to see. And then this past year, he came back to his roots as an elementary teacher and he would message me and say, this is what I knew I was born to do. And I said, you just needed to see it for yourself. That's really just that aha of the pathway that education brings you and those relationships you build with people. I'm going to shift gears yet again and ask you about the challenges that are facing rural education right now, whether it's in your district or it's here in Arizona or even nationally. What are the issues that rural educators are facing right now? 
So I'm going to say for me, the greatest challenge that I see is occupying classrooms with a quality teacher. And I'm going to say that is a national problem. I don't think it's a Lake Havasu problem. I don't think it is just rural. But what we see in the rural communities is we're not able to pos- to offer the pay, the same benefits, the housing accommodations as greater, larger communities. And so it is a huge issue in rural communities to get people to come to our community, one, to start that teaching career here. And it's an even greater challenge to get them to stay. We have to invest in people. I don't know that that problem is going away anytime soon. I know that I have friends who are teachers that have taught a long time and their own children coming up through the ranks and going to college. They're encouraging their children not to pursue the education career. My daughter is going into nursing. We watched my dad go through a really rough battle with cancer. She found that she needed to be that person that people wanted to connect with, building relationships back to that with the customer, so the patient, to help them get through that difficult time. And so she's chosen the pathway of she's going to do pediatric oncology and what I've asked her, and I'm a teacher by heart, and I see this in her, and I know how sh- good she is with people and kids, to get a secondary degree, a minor in education. Because you may find at one point in your life that that career, nursing, it's going to be difficult. But I think that having that education background and educational psychology, all of those things are going to help her even in the nursing field with pediatrics. And I want to see people like her. I want to see her fill her own bucket by doing something that she loves and she's passionate about. And I think that's the missing key in education. We didn't get in this job to be rich. We got in this job because it was a passion of ours. We want to make a living, of course. We need to provide for our families. But we get rich off of the relationships and the gratification we get just by watching our kids learn and seeing them develop over time and watching education shift. Is it frustrating? Yep, it can be. But I think it's just, we get that self-gratification daily by supporting students and seeing what they can do with this learning. We need to, as rural teachers, as teachers in general, we have to build up our community and we just have to keep being those bright spots the best that we can get people to want to return to this to this career because it is, it's life-changing. You know, you are phenomenal at this. Like, I really admire the way you coach and mentor and support other teachers. And I'm thinking NAU ought to be hiring you to train new teachers. What would you tell people who are thinking about becoming teachers? And especially what would you do to help recruit those teachers to rural communities? Over the last three years, I have been on and off an adjunct professor for ASU Havasu. So I have been able to support teachers in our community as a professor of their education courses as they are able to stay locally, come to school in Lake Havasu or surrounding areas. We have some teachers that were traveling from um, Bullhead and Kingman. We had teachers that were in an alternative pathway and they're still, you know, they're serving their hours through our courses. And that's a question that they would ask us is why did you stay here? They see within the group that we have as our as our cohort of teachers that they can see that leadership within within us. They ask us all the time, like, why are you not becoming an administrator? Why haven't you chose to move to Las Vegas, to California, to these places? That's where we just really dig deep with them of my reason for staying in this community has been my family wanting to give back to my own children, let them see that productive struggle that we might have in a small community, but how you can make it into a positive. And so that's been my thing with them is really looking at like, what 
what is your hope stepping foot into a classroom? What are your hopes or your ambitions? What do you want to see from yourself as an educator to these children? And what is your lifeline? Like what, what do you want to do with your career? What is your end game? And so really getting to talk to them and hearing, I really struggled in school and I want to be an advocate for kids. And then, then I can bring in, do you know, in rural communities, you're going to know your community more. You're going to see them at their soccer games. You're going to see them at the grocery store. You're going to run into their parents at the insurance place because they're going to be your insurance agent. It's everything is very local. And so I feel like we can bring that around to them and let them see that aspect of the community and how it builds on each other. And then the other piece is allowing them to see some of us, could we go into those other roles? Yes. Not all of us want that pathway. It fills our bucket to be able to be a teacher leader from within the classroom. And I look at it as we are modeling for them. This is what teaching looks like. It's not perfect every day. This is the experiences we go through. We're going to go through it together. And I can still do this after 19 years in the classroom. And so can you. And so I think that's that other piece. There are people who are born to be leaders. They want to be, they want to run a school. They want to be superintendents like Dr. Sadorf. But I think the other flip side is those are superintendents and our administrators, they need those teachers in the classroom who want to stay there so that they have that experience to call on that. I look at it as regardless of what your pathway is and regardless of what they want, I feel like I can sell the rule setting to them by really showing them how that community builds you up. If you're willing to invest in the community, you have to, it has to be give and take. So I just think that's important. And getting the educators here for the rural setting, there's a lot of benefits to being a rural teacher too, of they can get support with the housing. There are programs out there that they can get support with. There's programs that they can get for their loans if you teach in a rural school or a low income school. So just selling some of those things are important too. So Christina, as we end our time with you, is there anything that you were not able to highlight or talk about that you would want to make sure people knew about you and your rural school community? Honestly, I would just say that I just want people to be aware that rural schools doesn't mean less quality. So yes, we may serve a smaller population of students. Yes, we may have a smaller population of resources, but we are giving our heart into what we do each and every day. Whatever rural community you are living in, just know that you have teachers on those campuses that are there for your children. They want to be there. This is the work that they've been called to do. That's what I think is just the most important when I think of my own work is that this community needs me. And I need my community. So it is just that loving relationship back and forth because I don't think that everybody sees Lake Havasu as rural as other areas. When I look at our population is or our um, serve about 5,500 students, which is large when you think about rural schools to where we've had some people that their school may serve 30 students and, and that's their whole district. And so I know that our community is a little bit larger, but it's really just the geographical location of our school and the the distance between us and those other areas and the access to resources. But just know that rural schools are doing the best that they can. And we just need that support and those, the people that have a seat at the table listening to us of what those needs are for our kids. Absolutely. Thanks, Christina, for talking with us today. I really enjoyed learning more about Lake Havasu and your community and more about you as a teacher. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. 
You can check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Sadorf so you never miss a new release. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.